Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Ghosts of Harrenhal, my name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 37 of our chapter by chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today we're discussing chapter 36 of A Game of Thrones, which is Daenerys 4. As always, we'll chat about the chapter and try not to spoil any future plot points for you. And hopefully, we'll provide you with some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what's happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the TV show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some reader mail. Be sure to check out our show notes. They provide some additional information about the characters and other things of note in this chapter. That they do. Hey, how are you? I'm alright. How you doing over there? Good, good. Alright. Surviving the isolation. Rocky weekend. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Well, some highs and some lows, I guess. Milestone birth, birthday, yeah, and then had to had to put our nineteen year old cat to sleep. I lived with that cat longer than I lived with my parents. Oh man, I am sorry to hear that, and uh, so was Penny. <laughs> yeah. Although Carson pointed out to me today that it was actually Apollo that Penny was so infatuated with. Yes, yes, we've lost two cats in less than a year, so that's kind of sad. Yeah. They were they were litter mates, but and they lived thirty seven years between them, so they did all right. Yeah, absolutely, good long lives and. And and Stella Stella's the one who died this weekend, and she has one of the great stories, of course, which I thought we might give them the front end of yes. in, in celebration. Absolutely, yeah. this okay. is one of them. I mentioned it to Carson just this morning. <laughs> you did. I, I saw that you mentioned it to her. So, so this is a few years ago now. I um, Carson woke me up in the middle of the night and said, um. There's an animal. There's an animal. There's some kind of mouse or something. I was like, "What do you want me to do? I can't catch a mouse. I mean, I I'm not a cat." I mean, so I I went back straight back to sleep, and she sort of lay there, sort of fuming about my patheticness. And then the next day, me and Lucas were laughing at her, like she'd imagined it. She just dreamt this. But then, sort of around like 11 a.m., she just shouts. It's gone under the bed. It's, I saw it again. It's under the bed. So we all came traipsing into the bedroom and we're sort of laughing at her still that she's still imagining this thing. But what we do is we line up. I'm on one side of the bed and Carson Luke's on the other side of the bed. And what we're going to do is we're going to lift up the mattress and then lift up the box spring. And we lift up the mattress and stand that up on its end. And then we reach down to lift up the box spring. And just as I'm counting to three to sort of lift up the box spring, I say... One, two, and an animal chooses that instant to run across my stockinged foot. And you, you might be thinking, it's a mouse, yeah? You'd probably like, be like, oh, it's a mouse on my foot. This animal weighed 10 pounds. I thought, like an otter is in the house or something. I, oh, I'm laughing so hard I can't breathe. I'm trying to do it silently so I don't mess up your story. I screamed at the top of my lungs. I I just was like, ah! <laughs> but as I screamed, I looked down to see our 
beloved cat, Stella, who was under the bed, running across my foot. It was her. She was the ten-pound animal running across my foot, (laughs) not this creature that we were seeking. Now, my scream alerted my family, who were six feet away, and they both leapt backwards like superheroes, like out of the way. And but I, I obviously recognizing that as the man of the house screaming at this pitch and volume is not the best way to behave. I try to instantly reassure them. So mid scream, having seen that it was a cat, I changed my scream into reassuring words, and I sort of so I ended up saying, "Ah, it was only Stella." <laughs> <laughs> oh, my cheeks hurt from laughing so hard. Uh, man, I do love that story. And the thing is, I, we don't have time for it, but that was the tip of the iceberg oh, of that yeah. story. You yeah. remember the whole thing just went on and on. We had so many calamities that day involving what ultimately turned out to be a vole. Stella, or Apollo, had brought in a vole, and we had a vole in the house, which we ultimately captured and released back into the wild so no animals were hurt in the uh, apart from me you were hurt. i mean my life was sh- my life was shortened by this whole thing you were physically injured at least twice I, right? I was i was physically injured twice and carson was physically injured once in that in that whole day it just went from bad to worse <laughs> but but stella's moment was that was that was stella's contribution to it oh, she made me scream i still remember that instant of like what in the hell, just run across my foot. I mean, I'm, I'm saying it now like I was thinking it through, but at the time I was just too busy screaming. Uh, we will miss Stella. She yes. was a sweetie. Yes. Alright, let's get down to business. Let's Quick recap it. of what Daenerys was up to last time we saw her. Last we saw her, Danny, um, she was first laying eyes on the Dothraki Sea, if you remember, which is they were going to have to cross the huge ocean of grass to get to Vice Dothraki. Previously to that, she was so miserable she'd contemplated suicide. However, after dreaming of a dragon, she began to just adjust to life in the Kalasar. She shamed her brother by making him walk back with the Kalasar after he attacked her in the grass. And later we found out that she was pregnant. Why don't we give them the summary? You first. <clears throat> All right. Danny and the Dothraki Kalasar have finally traversed Essos and arrived at Faze Dothrak. She had to employ every pillow trick that Dorea had taught her to get Khal Drogo to allow her brother Viserys to ride at the head of the Kalasar once again. We've learned that Viserys hasn't learned any humility from being forced to walk, and it's quite clear that Sir Jorah Mormont has no respect left for the man. As the trio rides under the giant bronze statues of stallions signifying they've entered via Stothrak, Viserys is complaining that he's getting impatient waiting for the army that Khal Drogo promised him in the agreement for Danny. When Viserys rides off, Jorah tells Danny that if the Dothraki ever did make it to Westeros, their superior riding, archery, and numbers would outmatch a Westerosi army. However, they would be near useless in a siege. When Danny is settled into her earthen hut she and Drogo will share, she prepares to offer Viserys gifts of traditional Dothraki clothing as both a peace offering and to help him improve his status in the eyes of the Kalasar. She sends Dorea to ask him to dine with her in Eerie to the bazaar to find food Viserys will enjoy. Unfortunately, things don't go as Danny planned. Viserys storms into her hut, shoving Dorea to the floor, furious that Danny would dare command him to come to her. Danny explains it was just a mistranslation by Dorea. 
To calm him, she shows him the gifts she's made for him. He calls them Dothraki rags and suggests she'll next want to braid his hair. She responds slightly rashly that he has no right to braid to a braid. He has won no victories. What? Not the right choice of words. Yeah. Viserys grabs her roughly by the arm as the dragon awakes, but Daenerys smashes him in the face with a heavy medallion. She tells him that if the Carl were to find this out, he'd gut Viserys. After he leaves, holding his face, a tired Danny lays down, clutching a stone dragon egg to her stomach. She feels the baby move, responding to the near- nearness of the stone egg. Yeah. Yeah. Viserys. I tell ya. He's, uh, he's no fun, that's for sure. No. So Danny, she gets her first look at the city that is Vase Dothrock, which she refers to as ten times larger as far as uh, size, physical size of the city, ten times larger than Pentos. So that's pretty big. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, sometimes sometimes cities are big and sort of like not that. I, rem- I remember reading that Jacksonville, Florida is one of the biggest cities in the United States. I've, I've like heard that as by, well. By the area that it covers. But it's, yeah, you know. right. And that, uh, apologies to our listeners in Jacksonville, Florida, but it's not much of a city, really. <laughs> I've only driven through it on my way to Orlando. <laughs> you, you know, I, I, when I was there, I was there um, 9-11. I was in Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, wow. Huh. I actually was, I was due to fly out that day. Wow. Oh, I've got... An, by, the, by the way, Jen, let's put it in 9-11. I think I've discovered something. Um, so, I, to, to those listening in the future, we're still in the midst of the coronavirus um, lockdown, quarantine. We're not going anywhere. I am in the process of applying for American citizenship. Mm-hmm. You probably mentioned that previously. When I was applying for the green card, my green card application was derailed by 9-11. Now my citizenship application has been derailed by coronavirus would you just quit trying to become an american (laughs) things go terribly wrong when i engage with the immigration services i should just not do it this is clearly the lesson your your english accent's falling apart i mean true i think um yesterday um trump tweeted that they were banning all immigration so i don't know if that applies to me because i mean obviously it was just a tweet not like a thought through uh, right document on what this means but it might apply to me well i hope not yeah hopefully a, a delay and no more but i certainly haven't heard anything the process is sort of stagnated so. man so back on we, we are really we are really off topic <laughs> <laughs> jacksonville florida 9-11 so yeah when they first arrive in uh, vase doth rock they go underneath these gigantic stallion statues that are kind of rearing up and facing each other, amusing hand motions. So clearly that's the way to do this on a podcast. I did use a lot of hand motions during the Stella story. You did, yes. I appreciated them. (laughs) So, and the, uh, like the, the when she first goes through the statues, she doesn't even really see a city. They have to ride for quite a while before they actually get to the the city. But when they, they do get there, they're, all of the structures are kind of mismatched. There's some stone structures, some woven grass castles, some pyramids. And Jorah explains to her that the Dothraki don't build. It's the slaves that they have that do the building, and they build after the style that they're used to in their native lands. So that's why there's all these mismatched structures. Yeah. Which which makes a certain amount of sense. Plus, I think... Uh... 
it is the city is intended for all the Dothraki to come and come there, and they're used to sort of like camping. So right. most of the city is just open area for the armies to camp in. Yeah, you know? just with some with some palaces for the carls. Yeah, and, and, police. and they need a, a lot of space for horses. That's true. You do. <laughs> so Viserys at least is back on his horse. So he's you know, although of course. The only person who's unaware of the slight to Viserys is Viserys. Right. You know? Yes, <laughs> he's annoyed that he had to walk, but he has no idea how this has made everyone think of him. Yeah, just shows how out of touch he is with the whole everything going on. But he's been being mocked since that. Since then, and they're they're referring to him as the Sorefoot King. And then the next day, after Danny makes him walk, uh, Drogo offers him to ride in a cart, and he thinks that's. Uh, Drogo offering kind of like uh, a olive branch for for the mistreatment that Danny had given him, but it turns out that it's actually just more mocking because only eunuchs and old men and pregnant women and people who are too sick to ride ride in carts. So then they start calling him the Cart King. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. Ah. You can't catch a break That's by being a... by being <laughs> undeserving of a break. You can't right. catch one. But... <laughs> it's amazing how that doesn't uh, work out very well. You don't deserve one and you don't get one. Yeah, he's just... He's still refusing to embrace any of the Dothraki culture and I don't know how he doesn't realize I guess I do know how it's so obvious he doesn't realize that he's not going to be able to lead these men when they have no respect for him he has made no efforts to get to know them or know their culture or anything he's just too much of a fool to realize yeah I wonder if if maybe his thinking is that he doesn't actually have to lead them he's going to be sort of carried by them to Westeros, ensconced as king, and then he will have the Westerosi underneath him, and he'll send the Dothraki home with his thanks, you know. Maybe, yeah. So he, he never actually has to try to lead them. They are just the means to the end for him. I guess they, they'll need some sort of uh, military leaders, I guess. You know, the Kalasar will need... The 10,000 men that he gets will need to be oh. under the leadership of someone. Assuming no Caldrogo, right? right. See, I yeah. was thinking Caldrogo. I was thinking Caldrogo and his entire Kalasal would be going, but but that's right. That's that's ten thousand, which is the promise, is not all of Caldrogo's Kalasal, right. right? It's just a yeah. portion of it. Yeah. So Viserys continues to disparage the Dothraki, um, commenting on their mismatched houses and the fact that their slaves do the building. That all these savages know how to do is to steal the things that better men have built. Yeah. Uh, and he mentions that uh, they lack the wit to understand the speech of civilized men. Of course, he's saying all this in the common tongue, 
knowing that they cannot understand what it is he's saying about them. In fact, at one point, while he's saying the mean things that he's saying about them, he turns back and gives them kind of a mocking smile to some of the uh, other members of the Kalasar. But then Daenerys defends them. She says, they're my people. You shouldn't call them savages, you know? So it's... We saw this in the last chapter, the last Daenerys chapter, that she's beginning to see, you know, find common cause with the Dothraki, certainly over her brother. Yes. Yes. If not over all of the rest of Essos. And I think the fact that she was, that she spoke up and said something to him shows that she's coming around to being able to stand up to him. As we've seen a little bit, she really comes around to being able to stand up to him later in this chapter. But, you know, she she's feeling a connection with these people enough so that she's telling her brother, hey, knock it off. These are my people. Yeah. So Viserys is clearly tired of waiting. Jorah tells him that he should have stayed back in Pentos, which we yeah. has to seem <laughs> like a good idea, even to Viserys at this point, you would think. Because, yeah. as we've said before, he's he's... Not speeding the day when he gets the right. 10,000 men. Yeah. He's just annoying yeah. everything. They still know? have to get to Vase Dothrock, turn around and come all the way back to the western shore of Essos before he can do anything with those yeah. 10,000 Dothraki screamers. If I were Khal Drogo at this point, my, the 10,000 I give him would be the eunuchs, <laughs> the old, right. the pregnant, <laughs> the sick. <laughs> Good luck with that. Uh, all the all the people he doesn't like, just uh, clear them out. So Danny comes to Viserys' defense a little bit, and she says, "My moon and stars should give him his army soon. He shouldn't keep him waiting. It's not fair." And Jorah explains that the Dothraki don't think about these things the way that these Westerosi people think about things. Viserys thinks he's sold Danny to Drogo and he expects payment for his for his sister basically and Jorah explains that the way that Drogo is thinking about it is that he has been given a gift of Danny and that in some day in his own time he will return that gift but you cannot demand the gift of a call in fact Jorah goes you don't demand anything of a call so there's a bit of a disconnect there yeah so, yeah, I really like this because I think this, this it would be easy to portray the Dothraki as just sort of simple savages, but George Martin has done a good job here because he's given them a completely different mindset, a mindset which justifies what I think, if you think of us as being sort of the equivalent of the Westerosi, sometimes it'd be hard for us to understand, you know, sort of like Chinese or Japanese culture kind of thing. You know? right. And I think it's the same kind of thing. There's, there's a different mindset here, the Dothraki. They're not expecting, you give me this, I will pay you. They're expecting, you've given me an honorable gift, I will repay you with a similarly honorable gift, but in my own time. Right. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. There's no timeline on that. And I I think if Viserys had spent any time trying to get to know the uh, Dothraki culture, maybe he would have picked up on this on his own. But once again, no effort is being put into this. (laughs) But... Danny says uh, that Viserys tells her that he can sweep the Seven Kingdoms with a with 10,000 Dothraki screamers. <laughs> Jorah's response is, he couldn't sweep a stable with 10,000 brooms. <laughs> to be fair, it would be very difficult to handle 10,000 brooms. It would brooms, be. You know? It would be. That's a good point. <laughs> with, with, he couldn't sweep a stable with a broom. Right. I'll give him that one. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, Daenerys is very is kind of very interesting in this sort of chapter because she's obviously she's becoming more and more Dothraki. She she she's liking their customs. She's falling in love with Khal Drogo. Right. She's you know, embracing everything about it. But she can't shake being loyal to Viserys. She really can't, even though he's such a jerk and he's done nothing but be mean and cruel to her, she's still she's still loyal to him in some ways. She still hasn't been able to snap that loyalty. But I guess, I mean, until just a few months ago, she he was her only family, right. her only constant in her life, you know. Yeah. Would be hard to cut ties with that and as i'm as i'm just thinking about it here you know maybe danny is able to well one she's a khaleesi in a kalasar so you know she's in a level of of high regard but also she's never really had anything of her own she's she's always been in exile in a foreign land and now she's finally got people that that she can belong to traditions that she can learn and customs and you know, a world that she can embrace for herself. Maybe that's why she's uh, embracing it pretty well. Yeah, yeah. That's perceptive of you. So then, um, th- I really, I-, I found this next section pretty interesting. My brother t- says that we use the word interesting too much. Oh, yeah? <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> Let me think here. I, no, no, no. I, I'm with you. I mean, I find it interesting too. You know, it's just, he says, he says, God, if you could just get away from all these things. It's interesting. It's interesting. But, you know. Okay. Uh, I find this next section intriguing. How about that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Danny and, and Jorah start talking about how uh, Dothraki, how the, these Dothraki screamers would fare in Westeros if, they get over there and battle ensues. And first of all, I think that Jorah is uniquely qualified to make such a comparison. As he's he's one of the few people that have spent a lot of time around these Dothraki and have also spent a lot of time in uh, battles in Westeros. So he goes back to when uh, Danny said he could sweep the Seven Kingdoms with 10,000 Dothraki screamers. And uh, he says... Um, Jorah says you, he couldn't sweep ten, uh, stable with 10,000 brooms. And then Danny follows it up with, what if it wasn't Viserys? What if it was someone else who led them, someone stronger? I'm wondering if she's possibly thinking of maybe her child at this point. Yeah, yeah. Or, or even Khal Drogo himself. Sure, I mean, yeah. Although be, that's, an, that's an interesting outcome if you think about it. Because it if Khal Drogo were to... Oh, say, <laughs> I'm just as guilty as you, my friend. Um, Khal Drogo would not really be interested in the throne. Right. You know, yes. I mean, they're just as powerful in Essos as they would be in Westeros. Right. They have no interest in taking over the whole place. Yes. They want to go from place to place raping and pillaging. That's what's fun for them. Right. Yeah. I, I Like you were saying, I think it was the last, maybe two Ned chapters ago, that really, unless the attempt on, to kill Danny, or if they were successfully killed Danny, enraged him so much that he thought, I'm taking the war to them. I really don't see that he would have any interest in crossing the Narrow Sea, which is something that would be very challenging for them in the first place because they're, they fear the sea just to go over there and rape and pillage another but, continent. But hypothetically, if they were to get rid of Viserys somehow, 
might not Danny and Cal Drogo be a formidable duo. Yes. They, I'm, I'm just saying you don't necessarily have to wait for this child to grow up. Right. The two of them could become a force and, and take the throne of Westeros together. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, I can definitely see that. But, so Jorah, he gives a kind of his take on how this would go. And he says, you know, when, when he was first in exile and he met these Dothraki, he, he thought that a thousand good knights could, could defeat as a hundred times as many Dothraki. He's not so sure about that now, having spent more time around them. He says they're better riders than any knight. They're absolutely fearless. They have Their bows have better range. And he says, and don't overlook the numbers, how many of them there are. And he says, your cowl has 40,000 warriors in his Kalasar alone. And he mentions yeah. that they're so good at firing their bows on horseback that they can be charging or retreating. They're equally as dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, whereas in, West, in Westeros, the, they, they, they stop to fire, right, yes. basically. Yeah, they're either... Yeah. You know, back behind a shield wall, or they're yeah, yeah. somewhere stationary usually. So Danny asks if the forty if forty thousand is a lot. She's not, you know, she's never seen a huge battle. She doesn't know if forty thousand constitutes a lot. Jorah tells her that her brother Rhaegar took forty thousand to the Trident, but only four thousand of those were knights. The rest were free riders, foot soldiers, you know, common people with spears, pikes, whatever. Uh, and as soon as Rhaegar died, most of them threw down their weapons and fled. Right. Can't imagine that lot being very brave in the face of a Dothraki screamer. Right. <laughs> the 4,000 knights, yeah, but, right. you know, yeah. But Jorah sees, Jorah points to the single biggest flaw in the plan of invasion of Westeros with Dothraki, even with 10,000 Dothraki, is there is no incentive for the lords of Westeros to engage the Dothraki in the field. Yep. They would lose. They know it. But the Dothraki aren't the kind of people who can lay siege. Right. And Westeros is full of castles with high walls and big granaries. Right. Where Who can survive a siege and the Dothraki are just going to get bored and give up. Yeah. Go home. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook, or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. He mentions he doesn't even Fun. know if they can take the weakest castle in Westeros. Yeah, And so that's the most significant flaw with the whole plan. Right. But, there is, but then he throws up that there is one chink in the armor there <laughs> which is king robert baratheon king size chink <laughs> yes because <laughs> king robert baratheon as he says should have been born a dothraki yep he would have no interest in being besieged even by a an army that wasn't very interested in besieging <laughs> right. he, both he, sides he, are like neither uh, one of us want to do this <laughs> <laughs> so i mean even like you, they, they pitch up you're besieged for like a day and a half, and they wander off. He would not stand for it. He would want to get out of the field and fight them. Could he and resist? So, like if his yeah. men, if his, if his small council were saying, "Your Grace, if we just stay put behind our walls, we will wear them down. We can shoot stuff from our catapults at them. Whatever. 
they're gonna get bored and go home. Could he do it? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it would be it would be a very quick race against time yeah. between his patience and the Dothraki's patience. <laughs> right. Which one would crack first? <laughs> I'd give it 72 hours max for both of them. <laughs> He'll be out charging after them as they're running, they're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> it would be interesting though because, because of course, uh, yeah, interesting again. It would, it would be curious to see because they would presumably head for King's Landing first and then would he send ravens to have people come and attack because then that might be interesting. <laughs> might be curious to see what would happen because... Then, you know, if you're like, you know, the Tyrells or something, do you come out of your castle to attack the Dothraki from behind? Right. Or do you say, you're fine. Right. It's the Dothraki. <laughs> they don't have siege engines. Right, yeah. Exactly. Or patience. Yeah. You know, it, it, the way they describe Robert, you know, about how he should have been born Dothraki and how he might just be brave enough and equally rash enough to meet the meet them out on the battlefield, it kind of made me think back to him wanting to have the uh, Danny and the baby and Viserys killed, you know, while Danny's pregnant. It, it seems like he would be the kind of guy that would want to take the take this challenger on. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he knows him a little bit, doesn't he? I mean, he's not a complete stranger to Robert, but so he has a fairly good insight into him. And I think it's I think it's clear that this the only serious danger to Westeros would be King Robert. But then that also goes to what we were talking about with uh, Viserys and uh, Illyrio Mopatis. They were talking about they they didn't want the turmoil in the realm. Right. That was I was gonna just mention that that this I, I think we actually talked about this exact idea that maybe they want Robert to stay on the throne because they know that he's their best shot for an all-out war with the Dothraki. Because even right here is where Sir Jorah mentions that, yes, Robert might just be rash enough to rush out there and give these guys battle, but all his people around him are more strategic. And... Yeah, your your Stannis's, your Tywin's, your Ned Stark's. Yes, exactly. And then he spits after saying that name because he has no fondness for Ned Stark. Right, yeah. Although he has a, you know, he's been away a while, and he's also been traveling across Essos for a while, and he's got a little bit of outdated info. He referred, you know, Ned is no longer Robert's hand, and the Lannisters may or may not be plotting Robert's death. Yeah, Stannis has gone. Of course, missing. Stannis. Yeah, he's abandoned things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, the answer to Danny's question is yeah, the Dothraki might be able to do this with the right leader in charge. You know, right. I, I, but the thing is, I think the one thing it would take, and I think this is where Jorah's sort of pointing a little bit, is it needs to be someone who can rouse some of the banners. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. If it was j- just the Dothraki, no banners would go to them. Right. And so they would fail, because all you have to do is lock your door and wait for them to leave. Right. But if it was a Targaryen who your Conningtons, your Darys, etc., would flock to, then you've got something going on. Because now you've got some bases that you can call your own. Right. Perhaps spread a little, you know. It wouldn't be hard to paint Robert as a pretty terrible king. Yeah, exactly. Him being a pretty terrible king and all. So, um, where are we? Well... Vice Dothraki? So, we, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
He does mention Ned real quick. He mentions Ned, and he spits. And Danny says, you hate this, Eddard Stark. And uh, Jorah says that he took all I love for a few lice-ridden poachers in his precious honor, which is a little bit of a slanted view of the facts. But technically, he did sentence him to death for selling poachers to slavers. So, yeah. But, yeah. you know, Jorah willingly disobeyed a long-standing rule of no slavery in Westeros and sold these guys to slavers. And you have to know if your liege lord is Lord Eddard Stark of Winterfell, that's going to come with some consequences if you get caught. Ding, ding, ding. Yep. <laughs> I've always wondered why Jorah couldn't have just taken the black and gone and joined his father on the wall, you know? I mean, well, I know why he sold the slavers. We don't know this yet, so we can't really talk about it, but there was a reason why, and I guess that's what would have prevented him from doing that, but rather than losing your head. Well, I mean, the other thing is we kind of need him here. Yes. In Essos. <laughs> So just <laughs> just for narrative purposes, he really needed to take management. Here. It fits well in the story. So Vaistothrax, mostly empty. Um, the only people who live there full-time are the Dosh Kaleen and their servants and slaves. Um, it is big enough to house all the Kalasar, so Cal Drogos is just one of many. Yeah. Um, Drogos Palace is 40-foot high wooden feasting hall with horse yards, fire pits, earth mounds. Um, yeah, so this is what she kind of yeah. chuckles to herself because if you remember, it was way back in Danny One, uh, she was getting ready for the party where she was going to meet Caldrogo for the first time, and one of Illyrio Mopatis's slave girls is she's kind of a chatterbox and she's going on and on, and she mentions uh, that how rich Caldrogo is and that his palace has two hundred rooms and doors of solid silver. <laughs> Turns out that this palace actually is basically a, a rough uh, wooden structure. Um, so we've mentioned before that in Vice Dothrak, all the blades are collected. No one carries a blade, which is probably for the best because the Dothraki can be a little yeah. rash. A little touchy. And so, yep. Quick to anger. Tough to kill Daenerys here, but also tough to protect her. True. Yeah, but you can definitely see why uh, Lord Varys was... Not big on the plan to have Jorah kill Danny while yeah. here in uh, Vays Dothrock. Doesn't seem like it would be Although, very easy. Although, Ned might have liked that particular plan. So you're telling me to kill him horribly. <laughs> Let him do it. <laughs> you know what? All of a sudden I'm in on this plan. <laughs> you think it's doomed to fail and they'll kill him? Yes. <laughs> Danny thinks a little bit about Cal uh, Drogo's Blood Riders. They're more than just guards. They're, as Drogo puts it, blood of my blood. And we've talked a bit about them in Danny 2. We did a little bit of background information on them. And just so kind of a refresher, they, they don't outlive their cow. So if their cow dies, they either die with him or if he was killed by an enemy, they live long enough to revenge him and then they kill themselves or somehow die. I've got to say... As a blood rider, if he goes down from sort of dysentery or something like that, I'll be like, I will find a cure. <laughs> Spend the rest of my life working on a cure to dysentery. I will bring down your enemy and follow you into the halls of the dead. I wondered if it was a, a job you could turn down. 
you know <laughs> if you're honored with this could you be like well you see the thing is this as, as, i mean i like you fine <laughs> as much as i appreciate the offer i just yeah. i i think this you just, guy's a better option <laughs> you really like fighting with swords <laughs> all the time Ooh. you're gonna get killed but there's uh, there's some old uh Kalsar traditions uh, involving cows and their blood riders, involving uh, sharing their cow's wine. Okay. Sharing their cow's yeah, tent. All right, yeah, sure. Buddies. Sharing their cow's wives. Danny's not as big a well, fan of that one. Yeah. But never, ever sharing their cow's horse. There's Their mounts are their mounts, as they put it. Yes, so. understood. Understood, but but Caldrogo is not one of these traditionalists. Thankfully for right. Danny, yes, she's she's she is quite thankful of that. She's not yes. uh, she's not a big fan of the three blood riders. Do you want to tell us about the three blood riders? So there's Koholo, who's the oldest, but he is kindly towards her. Yeah. Um, Hago is huge and silent and glowers and terrifies her, but Quotho is probably the scariest one. Yeah. He's got cruel eyes and quick hands. And he likes to hurt others. And even the horses are afraid of him. So, But, I mean, as someone who loves Caldrogo, she should be fairly happy about this trio. They sound pretty badass. Yes, yes, they do. They, they actually sound so badass that she wishes her father had had blood riders instead of Kingsguard. Right, she, right. She specifically yes. mentions uh, Jamie Lannister literally killing the man he was... Sworn to protect. And she also mentions uh, Sir Barristan Selmy, who, as we just learned, I think, last Ned chapter or so, uh, you know, he was he was injured and he was brought back to health by Robert and Robert pardoned him. And then he became Lord Commander Robert's King's Guard. So, yeah. It's, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I mean, ugh, there I go again. Because... <laughs> <laughs> because of course we see what Selmy did as pretty honourable right, you know, he yeah. fought hard for his king his king was killed he continues to protect the realm and the current king you know yeah. but yeah from from Danny's point of view yeah it seems like almost as big a treachery as James right yeah yeah. if you think of it from her perspective exactly so she says she's thinking about it and she says when her son sits the Iron Throne she's going to have blood riders she's going to have him have blood riders to protect against his king's guard, and to me <laughs> yeah. that felt a little bit redundant. <laughs> well, maybe you just don't have the king's guard, and then your blood riders can protect you from everyone else. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just talking. There, crazy. there are seven king's guard, though. So I mean, there are more of them. So, like, if you had a big family, we talked about that before that they have to presumably protect the royal family as well. So, right. You know. Three blood riders might not be enough. Yeah. Three blood riders. The blood riders could just be his personal. That's protectors. it. And then the king's guard c- can be the protectors slash slayers of the rest of the family, <laughs> depending on if Jamie's involved or not. Yeah. So the first night in Vaistothrak, Keldrogo wants to climb the Mother of Mountains to make a sacrifice for his safe return. This is a a guy's only. Event. Yeah, you notice I put sacrifice in quotation marks there. I'm, I, I, I'm picturing they're going to go up there, they're going to play a little poker, you know, have some meat, eat some horse meat. You've got you to wonder, though. I mean, I mean, I, I can see this as a possible outcome, but 
that's how they behave in front of them. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are they hiding? I mean, surely it must be something. That's like that reminds me of. Uh, do you remember when? Uh, what was he called? The actor who kind of went off the rails. Son of another actor. Oh, Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. When Charlie Charlie Sheen went off the rails, I always remember. Um, I always remember. He says, not remembering. I always remember Ricky Gervais talking about uh, sort of reading out Charlie Sheen's texts. And it was just this catalogue of like crime and sin and (laughs) vice and all this stuff. And he said, this was a Tuesday. (laughs) What does he do on the weekends? So Danny Axe put out, you know, as she's supposed to do, she says, tell him I will, I will miss him and I will wait for, you know, his return. But secretly she's thankful for the alone time, which again, sounds a lot like poker night at the Ray house when, uh, when, <laughs> when I go to my friend's house to play poker and Stacey's like, oh no, please. Don't go. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, draw me a bath. Please don't go. <laughs> but because she has a night to herself, she does have a first opportunity to sort of spend some time with Viserys and sort of heal the rift a little bit. So she she gets these gifts together. They are authentic Dothraki clothing, which, you know, in hindsight, probably not the one yeah. thing that he would have liked. Who but, could possibly um, have seen anything going wrong here? <laughs> <laughs> and he, she sends Dorea to go and get him. Say, uh, and and she sends Eri to buy non-horse meat. And her her reasoning, I mean, her reasoning makes sense. Like for a, for a rational person, it makes sense that he, as she puts it, he'll, hopefully he'll get more respect if he looks less like a beggar. And helping him try and fit in with the with the Dothraki Kalistar. She wants him to look like a king here in Vase Dothrak. And a little bit is, you know, kind of an olive branch for shaming him back in the Dothraki Sea. Yeah. That's not how things go exactly. No, because Viserys storms in, dragging Dorea, shoves her to the ground. Uh, Daenerys says it's just a miscommunication. Dorea was asked to ask you, not to command you to come. Yeah. So then he tries to placate him. She's like, here, look at these gifts I got you. And Viserys dismisses them as Dothraki rags. Daenerys explains, you will be cooler because you've been wearing that wool and silk since you set off. And it's beginning (laughs) to stink. (laughs) And that's where the conversation, which is already pretty much a fight, takes one of those irrevocable turns that can sometimes happen in a fight. Yeah. (laughs) Where someone says something that can never truly be unsaid. And I think we're about to meet a dragon. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I I like to think of Daenerys saying this in a sort of snarky voice. Oh, I'd never do that, Viserys. You have no right to the braid. <laughs> I don't think that's how she said it. Right. I think she said it more lashing yes. out. You know, you you have no right to the braid. You've won no victories, and that'll do it. So yeah, so Viserys so, wants to beat her. Like he he wants to just pummel her, but he can't because. She's got all her handmaidens right here with her, and the uh, cost that's there to protect her is, you know, just outside the door there. So a little bit, little bit tries to control his anger, and uh, he responds with, I'm the Lord of the Seven Kingdoms, not some grass-stained savage. 
and then he loses he he loses it and he grabs her by the arm and his fingers dig in and he says you forget yourself and uh he says you think your big belly protects you i think the answer is yes but <laughs> yeah. well, if if that doesn't then the medallion that I was going to give you as a gift whacked across the side of your head. So that's what she does. She whacks him in the face with this heavy bronze medallion and says, did you learn nothing in the grass? Which clearly he hasn't. Well, you see, again, not not only did he learn nothing, he didn't even know there was something to learn. Right. (laughs) He was just like, you've put me out. This is annoying. I'm having to walk. You know, he did not realize and still doesn't realize that he was demeaned by this so she says if Caldrogo finds out that you've attacked me again he's going to yeah. feed you your own entrails let's just m- pause a moment to imagine this <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Viserys leaves and sh- uh, Daenerys lays down with the green dragon egg against her stomach when she puts it there the baby moves and uh, she thinks of it yeah. as reaching out brother to brother you are the dragon, the true dragon which is exactly what King Robert fears yeah so, background, what do you got? So, uh, there's a term that they use in this chapter. We haven't talked about it to this point, but it's uh, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it, so I'm going to just give it a go. Uh, kalaka. I like that. That's what I would say. The term kalaka comes up uh, involving kaholo, which is Caldrogo's uh, oldest blood rider. And kaholo saved a young Drogo from sellswords who planned to sell him to his father's enemies. And that's how he got his broken nose and broken teeth at the time. Koholo. Koholo got his broken nose and broken teeth. Yes, thank you. I was going to say, Drogo is still sort of perfect in the facial Right. Yes, I believe so. At least uh, Jason Momoa has a a (laughs) running set of teeth. (laughs) Again, when we have him on the show, I want it to be noted that I said that first. At the time, Drogo was a Kalaka, and that means heir to a Kalasar. In the common tongue, the term means the prince is riding. Uh, uh. However, unlike in Westeros, where the feudal system reigns, when a Kal dies, his heir does not automatically succeed him. He has to prove his strength to the Kalasar in order to be accepted by them as their new leader. So should Danny have a son, he would be a Kalaka, presumably. Correct, yes. As, as I understand it, anyway. But no guarantees. Right, exactly. If if Khal Drogo were to die, there's no guarantee that he would be the next Khal of the Kalasar. He'd have to prove himself worthy. Interesting. So um, the Shadowlands get a mention. They've had a couple of mentions before. Uh, Denny and Jory ride past statues so terrible that Denny can scarcely look at them. Jorah says they likely come from the Shadowlands beyond Ashai. The Shadowlands, also called the Shadow, is a mountainous area in the far east of Essos. Ashai is located on the southwestern tip of the Shadowlands. So way east of Essos, but on the western end of the Shadowlands yep. themselves. We've talked about Ashai before. It's where Bran saw the dragon stirring in his dream. To the north and northeast, the Shadowlands meet the Mountains of the Morn. The river Ash travels from the Mountains of the Morn to the Jade Sea, mostly through the Vale of Shadows, a valley so narrow with such high cliffs that it's said to be always in shadow except at noon. Along the ash, the city of Stigai, often referred to as a ruined corpse city, lies at the heart of the Vale of Shadows. It is said that demons and dragons are among the creatures dwelling in cliff caves in the mountains. 
If you remember, Sajora told Danny that ghost grass grows throughout the Shadowlands, a grass that kills other grass as it continues to spread. Shadow men, the people of the Shadowlands, are known for covering their bodies in tattoos and wearing red lacquer wooden masks. Ancient tales from Ashai claim that dragons originated in the shadow and were first tamed by a people so ancient they had no name. Uh-huh. Uh, so, like I mentioned earlier, Jorah is uniquely qualified to compare the Dothraki Screamers and the Westerosi Knights in battle, and I, we've not really talked much about Sir Jorah's life over in Westeros, so I just want to talk a little bit about it. He was involved in the Battle of the Trident, fighting for Robert and the Rebels, and he was also in King's Landing to see the aftermath of the sack of King's Landing. He apparently didn't impress the powers that be enough to earn knighthood during those events. It wasn't until the Greyjoy Rebellion that the then 35-year-old Lord of Bear Island earned his knighthood. Showing his courage, Mormont was one of the first men through the breach during the Siege of Pike, Thoros of Mir, who we mentioned, I think, in the last Sansa chapter, was first through the fallen wall of the main watchtower. Jorah was knighted by King Robert Baratheon himself for said bravery. Of course, he blew all that goodwill with the whole selling poachers into slavery thing. But he did kind of Forrest Gump his way into some important events throughout uh, Westeros and Essos. So, yep. Oh, and a uh, quick side note about that battle, uh, the Siege of Pike. Old Nan's grandson was killed in that battle. Oh. So, comparison with the TV show, in principle, most of this is captured. Um, Viserys' abuse of Dorea is somewhat compounded by an earlier scene in the show in which uh, Dorea and Viserys are intimate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Shall we say. So, he'd already been intimate with her and then treated her terribly when... He's a jerk. He is. We don't see them talking to each other as they ride into Viastothrak. Uh, the conversation between Danny and Jorah about Viserys' unfitness and what are the chances of succeeding in the return of Westeros, they are postponed until after the uh, fight between Danny and Viserys. Okay. So the fight between Danny and Viserys is very, very similar, down to the medallion across the face. Although, she's dismissed the servants, so... They actually do fight. He hits her. Oh. Because no one's around okay. to witness it. He hits her and then she whacks him back with the medallion. All right. And then she and Jorah talk in the aftermath of that. She's got like a black eye and she talks to Jorah about the, uh, you know, the, the things they talk right. about. Could could Viserys do this? What if it was someone better than Viserys? You know, this kind yes. of all that. Okay. Uh, pedantry. Um <laughs> The more Jorah talks to Daenerys, the more I think, if if these guys really cared about Viserys, they would tell him the things that they know. Because, for instance, the understanding of the gift exchange, it's so fundamental to what... Viserys, from his own, in his own mindset, he's got a perfect right to be bent out of shape that he isn't getting repayment. He thought, I give you this, you give me that. He's expecting payment. Right. Jorah's understanding of the Dothraki mindset is something that would really help Viserys come to terms with what he's struggling with. I wonder if they've tried. I, I know Mopatis tried a little bit to, to explain some things to him about how all this is going to work and convince him to stay in Pentos and all that jazz. Um, I don't know if even if they were telling him these things, if if it would register. He's so... Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, of course, that, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we we we're not seeing that, and certainly they don't. It doesn't feel like they're plotting against right. them. It's just it just feels like they've given up trying to help yes. him. Yes, I think Jorah's completely done with him. I think he yeah. has realized that uh, he's. This guy is not my meal ticket back yes, to Westeros. Yes, exactly. I think maybe he's thinking the sister might be more of the meal ticket. Yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, his primary meal ticket is stabbing these two in yes. the back. Still, that's that's his best. Bet. Right. <laughs> so let's conclude. Um, yeah, Viserys is pretty much the fool we know him to be. Yep. He's he's really. I think he's really topped out now. I think. I mean, there was Joffrey for a while, but now you know. Lady's death is fading into the distance. Yes, uh, I think he's definitely pulled ahead, probably by a whole body length yeah. here. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, give Joffrey time; he might be about to say, "Hey, hold my beer." You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, this Kalasar is never going to respect him, and he's he's just not the kind of guy that people are going to follow. He's the kind of guy that thinks. Leadership is a birthright, not something that you have to earn. Yeah, and you know yeah. he's also a bit of a coward, so that's yeah. certainly not going to earn him any more respect in a Kalasar. Yeah, we said this. We said this the very first time he mentioned waking the dragon. You know that it just sounded like exactly what a cowardly boy right. would say. You know, <laughs> naming his temper. <laughs> yeah. So so we'll we'll Drogo find out about the incident. So in, the interesting difference there between the book and the. TV show was in the book he keeps his hands to himself apart from squeezing her right. arm in the TV show he whacks her across the face and leaves her with a bruise oh, so yeah. but but at no point did they did she say if Cal Drogo finds out about this he'll feed you your own entrance right. you know so the threat wasn't there either in the show but yeah if he does find out he's not going to be too no. pleased yeah that could go really bad for Viserys because he doesn't need Viserys at all I really think he's keeping Viserys around because uh, out of respect for Danny, yeah, yeah, I, I think I think that's one aspect that we we're not seeing much of. I mean, we we know that Danny is falling for Caldrogo, but I think it's very much a two way street. I think he is realizing he's got somebody kind of special yeah, in I Danny so. as well. Yeah, and so if his marriage had turned into something, you know, just like a a duty, you know, sort of like it was someone he didn't wasn't that interested. in, he would have killed Viserys. Probably, yes. <laughs> I I think you're right about that. And, and Jorah paints a colorful picture of a war between Westeros and Dothraki. Did you like that, Rob? Colorful? Was that better? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, so the Dothraki are obviously, the at least in Jorah's opinion, are superior in the field. And the, uh, yeah. the Westeros and their lords have their castles. Yeah. Yeah, but the, but there is the the two the dual hope. One is that Robert is rash enough to engage them, and the other one is that sufficient banners are roused to usurp the usurper. Right, because he's not he's not proven to be a great king, and there were some good uh, Targaryen kings. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Egg. Yeah, that's yeah. the that's the thing. Oh, Varys and Mopatis, are they is part of their plot to keep Robert on the throne? Is this why they're keeping Robert on the throne? Or, you know, yeah. have we not gotten to whatever their plot is about yet? Yeah. But the, the flip side of that is, I mean, I mean, I think obviously Varys and Mopatis are trying to be sort of like nimble with the plan because, you know, the situation's in flux. But if something were to befall Robert, 
then Kingdom would be in a little bit of turmoil. Just a little yeah. bit. I mean, there's obviously a natural progression. But although Robert is pretty hopeless, he is sort of the glue between two broad factions mm-hmm. yep. in Westeros. Right. Specifically, the Wolf and the Lion. Yes. The Starks and the Lannisters both have one have one thing in common and one thing only, and that is Robert. Yes, Brand. exactly. Outside of him... Could be a problem. Yeah, if King Joffrey were to ascend the throne, then it would be very interesting to see what would happen if that king called his called the Starks yeah. to come and defend him. Right. His own father <laughs> doesn't like... His own father would not bestir himself to defend that. <laughs> that's right. All right, anything else? No, that's good. All right. As always, you can reach us at ghost.harrenhall at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at ghostharrenhall, Facebook, Instagram, and now on YouTube. And oh, just just a thank you for the birthday wishes we got on uh, both Facebook and Twitter. That was very yes. nice. I I am not much of the uh, social media. McKelly is our empire, basically. And, you got uh, some on so Instagram, too, by the way. I got some on Instagram? I don't even know how to get to that. But but it was it was very nice and uh, and of course I mean it was a milestone birthday and 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 to do it like with nobody around twenty five I told you my brother uh, yeah something like that <laughs> I told you my brother's joke he said he said well you're lucky Simon in that the uh, coronavirus you were still surrounded by all of your friends and admirers <laughs> Rob uh, he's a clever one that Rob <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> uh, so. Uh, yeah. Don't laugh. I want you to edit out your laughing. I don't want him <laughs> to hear that. Just crickets. I'll put in a cricket sound. <laughs> <laughs> that would be ideal. <laughs> well, if you guys wouldn't mind helping us out by leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Podchaser.com, that would really go a long way in helping us get the word out. We'd much appreciate that. Yep, that'd be great. All right, thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.